Welcome to Thoughts on Record, official podcast of the Ottawa Institute of Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Each episode, we explore topics of interest to clinicians and mental health consumers from a cognitive behavioral perspective. I'm your host, Dr. P. Kelly. I want to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Caitlin Claggett-Woods to Thoughts on Record. How are you doing today, Caitlin? I'm doing really well. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's definitely a bit of an interesting time and uh, one where I really feel like I'm flipping back and forth between my identity as a human being and as a clinician. And uh, I'm really having both of those identities informing the other at this particular point in time. Yeah, one, 100% can, can agree and can relate. And something that I've been talking a lot, quite a bit with folks, whether in my personal or professional life, how this pandemic is affecting us each deeply and differently. What are a couple of the things that have been top of mind for you in terms of either what you're working through yourself or what you're suggesting to, to your clients? I'm, I'm really curious to know how you've been framing this up for yourself and the folks you work with. One of the first things that I have seen most frequently is almost an expectation that we're not supposed to be bothered, right? That we're not supposed to be feeling upset or anxious or scared. And even though maybe there is a bit of a outward recognition, people will say it's like, oh yeah, of course it's a scary time, but really kind of at the end of the day or in our connection with ourselves, I find that people are often kind of have a low tolerance for feeling afraid or stressed and acknowledging that. Yeah. It seems to me like it's really important at a time like this, not to be judging one's internal experience too harshly. I think number one, because we, you know, you don't really have control over that. And number two, I mean, it strikes me as we are in a situation where it's actually warranted to be experiencing some amount of distress, some amount of dysphoria. That's our brain doing its job, alerting us to, you know, some amount of danger out there. Some of that is to be determined, but nevertheless, there's enough uncertainty out there that it does warrant our threat detection systems being up and running, you know, to see what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And a lot of the things that I have seen in terms of people coping with what is our body's natural response is trying to find ways to push it away or push it aside or distract from it. Right. Um, Maybe, I don't know if any of our listeners here have seen the memes floating around about, you know, it's like the grumpy face when my baking or my crafting hasn't cured my anxiety. And it's like, that's because that is our natural response system, our body's adaptive response system, you know, emotions that we are supposed to be having in a time of strain. Do you have any specific suggestions for how people might sit with unpleasant emotions? As psychologists, we don't like to refer to emotions as good or bad. We, we typically refer to them as being pleasant or unpleasant. Do you have any strategies or suggestions for, to help people sit with those unpleasant sensations that appear to be inevitable at the moment? Step one, honestly, acknowledging that they are there, right? Getting a sense of what it feels like for you in your body, right? Where do you feel the emotion? Where is it the strongest? Where is it the weakest? You know, if it had a temperature to it, what would it feel like? And kind of curiously exploring the feeling that you are having as though you were encountering it for the very first time. Right, kind of taking a step back as something that's bad and just getting to know it a little bit better, putting a name to it, right? Can we name the emotion that we are experiencing to partially help decatastrophize it a bit and also to open up some space for it? 
one of the analogies that I like to use, especially, you know, because the whole rather than a good or a bad emotion, but, you know, ones that we want versus ones that we don't want. One of the analogies I really like to use is imagine this emotion that you have like a crying baby, you know, right. Many, many parents I'm sure are listening and the sound of that crying baby is aversive, but what do you do? You pull them a little bit closer and treat it with gentleness and compassion and using that same approach with your own internal emotional state. From a behavioral perspective, it seems to me that at a time like this, our actions would really uh, make a difference w- with respect to how we're feeling. My typical advice to clients at times like this is to identify what your values, really reconnect with your values, and try to choose behaviors that are aligned with uh, where your values would suggest that you go. How have you been speaking with clients about that alignment between values and behavior? Right now, because of the physical distancing restrictions, it's easy to, I think, get a little bit hopeless about, you know, not being able to live my values. Or if I do live in accordance with my values, you know, maybe I'll increase the likelihood of getting sick or getting somebody else sick. And so there's fear that comes along with that. And one of the things that I've been, you know, discussing with folks and putting in place for myself is how can I get more creative and flexible in the way that I live out my values, right? So if one of my values is to connect with other people, what are some things that I can do to serve that need in ways that are in line with the current pandemic situation, right? Maybe it is along the lines of having some FaceTime dates. Maybe it's along the lines of, you know, gathering recipes from all of your family members and putting together a cookbook that at the end of this pandemic, you'll all have a cookbook together. (laughs) Um, But essentially, yeah, getting a little bit more creative and flexible with A, identifying what your values are, of course, in the first place, and then B, how you live those out, you know, kind of making specific actions committed to following your values, even when times are hard. One question that I wanted to ask you was, in terms of seeking social support and being effective in that respect, how can we tell the difference between, you know, sort of processing with friends, colleagues in an effective way versus tipping into rumination that's only going to serve to make us feel worse? Uh, And and because that's something personally I'm kind of navigating where I want to process and express what I'm feeling, but I'm not always convinced that I feel better at the end of those conversations. Sometimes I feel worse. Sometimes I feel like I've just been marinating in some of the distress that's been uh, coming up for myself. So do you have a sense of how to think through that constructively or effectively? One of the things I think that you just said there, right, was at the end of it, how do I feel? And if these repeated conversations actually have you feeling worse as opposed to maybe a little bit more hopeful or more accepting of yourself in the situation. I mean, you can use those cues for yourself. Um, And really what it makes me think of is the importance of really looking to what we can and what we cannot control in this situation. Right. And so what are the things that we can't control? We cannot control whether or not protective equipment is imported to our country. We cannot control, you know, whether or not we have X number of deaths or X number of deaths in this province or in this country or in this world. What we can do is look at the present moment, the here and now, what is within my control? How can I do even one small thing to help myself or to help others or to help my world community, right? Right. Whether that is living 
in accordance with the specific guidelines of one important source to get your guidelines on how to practice physical distancing and disinfecting and things like this. One credible source rather than following all of the myriad of news sources and their different interpretations of things and conflicting information. Whether it is finding a way to make someone feel heard or smile. And when you're thinking about those ranting conversations with colleagues, right? Like kind of taking a step back and looking at what is the function of this, right? Right. What is the need that I'm attempting to have filled here? And maybe if I can identify that need, is there a more effective way for me to move forward with this? Uh, Caitlin, as a clinician with a lot of experience dealing with uh, anxiety disorders, what would you suggest are some explicitly unhelpful things for people to do at this particular time? What would, what would be unhelpful from an anxiety management perspective right now? Most definitely overconsumption of news, right? And so right. what we are really advocating for people is pick one source of information, as I've already spoken to, and follow that one source. You get to pick whatever the source is, like that's well within your, your, your control. Um, however, we do recommend picking a credible source that has the most evidence backing behind it, right? So sources such as the World Health Organization or the Center for Disease Control, um, your local public health authority, um, and things like that. And then not only limiting the source, but the amount of time. To get the news that you need in terms of this ongoing pandemic, you can likely accomplish that within about a 15-minute time frame at most twice a day. Anything above and beyond what those expert guidelines are or above and beyond in terms of news consumption is feeding an anxiety-driven behavior or worry or or thought process, right? It's inherently unhelpful and will ultimately contribute to increased catastrophizing and increased stress. Beyond that, one thing that's also going to be important in terms of navigating this period is recognizing that uncertainty is inevitable. It is healthy and normal to be experiencing. And there are things that we can actively do to work on opening up and increasing our tolerance of uncertainty, right? And there are many articles that you can look at in terms of increasing tolerance to uncertainty. There are, you know, providers that you can seek out to help build that muscle. Um, but just one thing to mention that eliminating uncertainty is neither possible nor adaptive for us because uncertainty is inherent in everything. And so working on opening ourselves up to that and practicing tolerating that is going to be a pretty crucial skill. So just building on that from a psychological lens, the challenge elements of this situation are a lot more salient at the moment than the opportunities. But I have to think there probably are some opportunities embedded in this. Yes. The gratitude and meaning making that can be built from a situation like this is going to, again, be one of the things that carries us through. If I even think about you know, the silver linings that I have been discussing with other people, the world has gotten so much smaller in terms of connecting with other people. You know, maybe we tend to neglect folks that live far away because it's easier to connect with those that are right in front of us. But right now, everybody is a screen or a phone call away. And so people that, you know, maybe you haven't talked to in years are suddenly coming out of the woodwork. I think people are going to go through a phase of boredom as they disconnect from all their usual sources of distraction that they kind of self-medicate through the day with. 
and are going to turn back to that, which is most important, which is are their, their relationships. And yes, they're going to have to access them more digitally, but I'm hoping we'll come out the other end of this more connected to the things that really matter as opposed to a flashing light in our phone uh, that we're monitoring throughout the day. Yeah, absolutely. As a society, we're putting in place a number of restrictive measures around hygiene, distancing, things like that. How are we going to undo this? You know, people's anxiety and fear is going to be high for a long time. We'll probably get some sort of de facto all clear, quote unquote, at some point. How are we going to undo um, all the measures that we've put in place from a psychological perspective? You mean undo in things like the amount of hand washing or staying distant from other people? Exactly. So we, we've got to take these measures right now because it's called for, it's prudent, it's where our coping is mapping onto the actual demands of the situation. But there will come a time where those where presumably the demands hopefully aren't as high as they are now. And I guess what I'm wondering about is, are people going to be stuck in this mode of heightened awareness, heightened hypervigilance? And if so, you know, from a psychological perspective, how can we migrate away from that if it's not necessary towards something that's kind of more sustainable from a day-to-day perspective? I mean, I think the first thing to acknowledge there is when these restrictions are ultimately lifted, yeah, that fear and that uncertainty is going to be heightened, right? Because essentially that is going to be adapting to the new normal after this current state. And so those feelings can all be there too. And we can take steps forward, even though we're feeling that distress inside, right? Again, coming back to following those guidelines as put forth by experts that are way more informed on this stuff than either you or I or our anxious minds. <laughs> That's right. You know, so it really comes yep. down to that same principle of acknowledging your thoughts and feelings, kind of getting familiar with it, opening up to it, identifying what the evidence-based and valued actions are, and taking committed steps towards those, even though your anxiety brain might be, you know feeling hesitant about that. Well, Caitlin, I really want to thank you for your time today. I know any time that you spend with me is time away from either your family or from your clients. So I really appreciate it and uh, be well, be safe. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. No, thank you very much. And like I said, I highly value what it is that you're doing here and being able to speak to some folks that might be listening and might benefit from any little bit of guidance that I can provide. So thank you. You are very welcome. Take care. Bye. Well, I really hope that you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. If you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And now for the mandatory disclaimer. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Kelly and that of his guests. Content of the podcast should not be taken as psychological advice and is for general information only. Please consult your mental health professional for any specific questions around your psychological health. In no way does listening to our content establish a psychologist-client relationship. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect patient confidentiality. Finally, this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing a standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast.